What is up, everybody? Welcome into Locked on Tigers. I'm your host, Chris Castellani. It is Friday, November 13th, 2020. Thank you for tuning in today. A lot of news to cover. Segment two will be a mailbag segment. Looking forward to answering some of your questions, but there is some news to talk about. The American League and National League MVP winners were announced last night. I'm not going to cover it as in-depth as I covered the Cy Young voting because I do have a lot to talk about in segment two with the mailbag, but I will say Jose Abreu, finished first, winning it for the Chicago White Sox. First Chicago White Sox to win the MVP, I believe, since Frank Thomas in the 90s. Rounding out the top five, you had Jose Ramirez of the Indians finishing second, DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees finishing third, Shane Bieber for the Indians finishing fourth, and Mike Trout finishing fifth for the Angels. I know some people were a bit upset that Jose Ramirez didn't win and felt like he deserved it, I just, I can't bring myself to care enough about it. If this was a full 162-game grind and Ramirez had separated himself, I'd feel a bit more strongly about it. But I I like both those players. I like Jose Abreu a lot. Whenever I talk about the White Sox, I always forget about Abreu. I bring up Anderson and Moncada and Robert and Jimenez. I always forget Jose Abreu. He's always the forgotten one. Do you know how scary that is as a fan of an opposing team? Because the forgotten one just ran away with AL MVP. It just shows the depth of that lineup, how good they are, and how good they're going to be. Well-deserved. Congratulations, Abreu winning AL MVP for the Chicago White Sox. In the National League, we had another first baseman winning it. This one Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves takes home his first MVP award. Very happy for Freddie Freeman. I'll talk about him in a second. Rounding out the top five, you had Mookie Betts finishing second. Manny Machado of the Padres finishing third. Fernando Tatis of the Padres finishing fourth. Juan Soto of the Nationals finishing fifth. You know, in a lot of years, if the Nats were as competitive as they had been in the past, Juan Soto may have finished at least second and possibly even won this thing. He had an unbelievable season this year, and it sucks that the Nationals were bad, and it sucks we didn't see this thing all the way to the end because he was putting up some like historical numbers offensively. With that said, I'm extremely happy for Freddie Freeman, like one of the most well-liked guys in baseball, maybe the most unanimously well-liked guy. You know, had COVID uh, before the season started, they had it pretty bad, recovered, came back, won an MVP. I'm very happy. I'm very happy whenever a guy like this wins MVP. Michael Jordan made an entire generation of athletes believe that in order to achieve greatness, you have to be a jerk to everyone around you. Freddie Freeman is living proof that that's not the case. One of the nicest guys in baseball is now officially the best player in the National League. Really happy for him. I think they got the voting right. You know, I know there's some argument over in the American League about whether or not J-Ram deserved it. I'm fine with Abreu winning it. I like both those guys a lot. I think they got it right this year in such a strange season. Lastly, and this will be a short first segment, and segment two I'll be answering your questions. Evan Woodbury, I believe, tweeted that A.J. Hinch finally got around to contacting some of what is soon to be his his current players. He called Miguel Cabrera and he called Matt Boyd. Those are the first guys he reached out to. People were freaking out about this on Twitter. I saw several, like, angry responses to this. What's he doing calling Matt Boyd? Matt Boyd stinks. He's no good. Why are you calling him? That's so stupid. Okay, first, to answer the question, he's the longest tenured pitcher on the staff. That's why he did it. Like, if you're looking for an answer to that question, that's why. It, it doesn't matter what team he's managing. That was going to be A.J. Hinch's M.O. He's going to call the, the longest tenured players on the roster. Those are typically your leaders. Matt Boyd, not a good pitcher, was terrible this year. Maybe the worst starting pitcher in baseball this year is, by, by all accounts, considered to be one of the leaders in that clubhouse. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I'm saying that's the way it is. That's factual. I'm not mad by this. And to me, like, if you are angry about a phone call, that A.J. Hinch made to Matt Boyd, I just, I don't know, like, 
maybe take maybe sit this one out. You know, maybe just maybe pour a glass of something and drink it and just move on. Move on from Twitter. Move on from social media for a day or so. It's a phone call, guys. Like, I'm not mad at this. I'm mad at the people who are mad about this. It's a phone call. No, Matt Boyd isn't any good. And it's sad that he is like the longest tenured guy. It's sad that he is the most experienced veteran guy and he's not any good. I understand that. It's a phone call. It lasted all of five minutes. It had zero impact on anyone else's lives. I understand, and this is hypocritical coming from me who has blown my top over the most random stuff over the last several years. You know what happened to me, though? I turned 23. Like, I gained some kind of perspective about this stuff. We have 250,000 people dead in a pandemic, and I got people on Twitter who are angry about a phone call! Enough! I understand sports provides a level of catharsis, and even therapy for people to, to vent their frustrations. Pick your spots. It's a phone call. All right. Sorry, I had to get it off my chest. Some stuff lately has just been driving me nuts. So when I come back, I will be answering your questions in the mailbag segment. See you in segment number two. The improved Built Bar is even more deliciouser. 18 amazing flavors, 6 new flavors, 12 other original flavors. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. And Built Bars are healthy. Built Bar is great for the health-conscientious guy or girl. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And we're back, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Final show of the week on this Friday in mid-November, an off-season edition of Locked on Tigers. In segment two today, as I promised, we will be doing a mailbag segment. I got three questions, some pretty good ones that I wanted to get to today. As always, you could send those questions to this show's Twitter account at Locked on Tigers. I used to have, and we, I, I technically do still have an email account for this show, but I, I don't know, I like having the open atmosphere of Twitter because in a private email, people can say awful things to you and I don't really want that. But lately I got some good ones. So let's get to this week's mailbag segment. Three questions this week. The first one coming to us from at Sam underscore Jane 230 on Twitter. Top five favorite Tigers games or memories. This is a tough one. There's so many and there are. I know I rip apart this organization and I express my frustration with this franchise on nearly a daily basis. But the reason I get so frustrated is because I know what it's like to see great here. I know what success feels like here. And yeah, they, they they always came up short. They never won a World Series, at least in my lifetime. The last one they won, of course, was in 1984. So I don't know what that feeling is like, but I've seen MVPs here. I've seen Cy Young winners. I've seen some incredible moments and, and cherished memories. And it was hard to narrow it down to just five, but I did come up with five uh, in no particular order here, though number one is definitely number one. One of the first ones that came to mind, J.D. Martinez is pinch hit home run off of Chris Sale in 2016 coming off of the injured list. You know, 2016 was, that was the last good Tigers team. That was a fun year. It it was like you had Kinsler having an amazing year. JV officially having a resurgence, finishing second for the Cy Young. It showed flashes of of greatness in the latter part of 2015, but 2016, he really put it all together. JD Martinez with a good year when he was healthy. Miggy's last great year. Michael Fulmer winning rookie of the year, having an incredible season. I mean, so many great things happened. They ultimately came up short because Osmus cost them one too many games and the bullpen fell apart. We all know how this stuff goes, but 
that was a, a top five moment to me in Comerica Park history, especially in the regular season. I mean, if you want to include postseason, it still may be in the top five. JD, much loved in Detroit, coming off of the injured list, pinch hit at bat against one of the best pitchers in all of baseball in a 1-1 ball game, and JD took him deep on the first pitch. An electric moment. That one stands out. Another one it was in 2013. I believe it was late August. It was late August because it was right before I was about to start my senior year of high school. Miguel Cabrera with a walk-off home run against the Royals off of Luke Hochaver. Uh, that moment always stands out because that was like the peak of Miguel Cabrera, in my opinion. That, that summer, 2013, and I know he won the, the Triple Crown in 2012, but 2013, when he was fully healthy, probably the last time he was fully healthy, that was like the summer of Miggy. Every day, he was doing something that was just bonkers, and that was like his peak. That always stands out to me. They won, I believe it was a 6-5 ball game against the Royals that night. Crazy game. There were a couple of ejections. That was uh, the ultimate Miggy moment, in my opinion. And then you have several playoff games. A 2012 Game 4 of the ALCS, sweeping the Yankees. Incredible moment. Absolutely dominated. Just decimated New York in that series. The classic one, 2006, Maglio Ardonia's three-run shot, I'm sorry, off of Houston Street in Game 4 of the ALCS to send the Tigers to the World Series for the first time since 1984. Just an incredible moment. A moment that a lot of people attribute to being the moment that officially brought baseball back in Detroit. I mean, that whole season was so special for so many people that, you know, iconic Dan Dickerson's call, one of the best calls, in my opinion, in the history of baseball. So much emotion in that moment. A phenomenal moment, a phenomenal game, and one of the most iconic images, probably the most iconic image in the history of Comerica Park, but my personal favorite that stands out to me, 2013, game four of the ALDS, Max Scherzer pitching out of that bases loaded jam, uh, pitching out of the bullpen that game, and the Tigers went on to win that game, and ultimately JV did his thing in game five, and, and they beat the A's in Oakland. You know, that was such a great moment. Now, it hasn't aged as well in hindsight because we know how that season ended, but I remember when that happened. And this was naive of me, obviously, but I remember when that happened thinking, this team's going to win the World Series. Every team has that moment in the postseason where they got a nut up or shut up. The Dodgers had it this year. You know, they had, they were down 3-1 to the Braves. They manned up and they played some incredible baseball down the stretch, ultimately going on to win the World Series. They'd had those moments before and came up short. I thought that was going to be it, and I thought that they were going to beat Boston. I thought they were going to beat St. Louis and end up winning the World Series. They didn't, but still a magical electric moment. Max Scherzer, just an absolute psychopath pitching out of that jam. Uh, an all-time great moment in Detroit Tigers lore. Next question, at Mark Musgrave the third, I believe it is. What a great name. Says, George Springer declined his option. Do you think he'll come to Detroit to play for Hinge? Also, when is Scope going to re-sign? Well, he, de- he declined the, the qualifying offer, which was not a surprise. All signs seem to point to the fact that he probably won't be returning to Houston. He's going to hit the free agent market. I would still say his chances of coming to Detroit are very, very slim. Now, they are higher than they were a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, his his odds of signing here, his percentage chance of signing in Detroit was about 0%. Uh, I didn't think there was any possibility. George Springer, is he's a great player, and I'm sure he's going to take where the money is, but I also think he wants to play for a winner. And Detroit, even with Springer at the helm, is still a team that, I mean, I'm being generous here, is at least one or two years away from really competing for a postseason spot. I think he'd be more inclined to go do an upstart team like the the Blue Jays or even the Nationals I've seen being thrown around. I don't see him uh, in the prime of his career going from Houston, who's been a contender for the last four or five years, to kind of a basement dweller 
in Detroit. I even think, you know, if they have the money, I don't know about any more because of La Russa, but I think the South Side of Chicago would have been a great destination for him as well. No longer a 0% chance. I'd put it at like 5-10%. You know, I've talked about how Hinch is a great communicator. He's a personality a lot of people want to play with. He has a great atmosphere in the clubhouse, but of course, you know, everyone liked him in Houston, and Springer's best days in Houston were when A.J. Hinch was his manager there. I mean, 2017, all jokes aside, you know, talked about the scandal. World Series MVP experienced the highest of highs with A.J. Hinch as his manager. With that said, I just... I don't see it. One, the biggest reason, I don't I don't see Illich dishing out the money to do so. I think he'd be more likely to wait until next offseason, sadly. I, I'd be stunned if he ends up winding up in Detroit, but, you know, you can dream. I'd love to see him. I love George Springer. He's one of my favorite players. And the second question, when is Scope going to re-sign? If I had to guess, I would say when he's signed over the last several years, which is right around December, almost close to the new year. I believe it was around the Christmas season when he officially signed his deal with Detroit last year, which I believe was after the winter meetings. Typically, the winter meetings, that's when you get a lot of the big-time signings and the big-time trades. I think we're more likely to see someone like a Jonathan Scope, good ball player, uh, signing probably some some point, I would say before the end of the year, but after the winter meetings, kind of in that two-week, three-week window. Will it be back in Detroit? Or only time will tell. We'll see. Thank you for the question. Last one. From at Caleb Myko, he says, How big of an impact do you think this new coaching staff can actually have on the team? Are there any changes that need to be made in the player development department to get us back to contention? That's a really good question, and I've expressed immense excitement about this coaching staff. I think A.J. Hinch went out got the best guys available, and Chris Fetter, and you know Chip Hale, the third base coach, and, and uh, Coolbaugh, who they just got from the White Sox to be their hitting coach. I, I respect all those hires. I'm really excited about all those hires, but you look at what impact can he have right now? What impact can all those guys have right now? It is a fair question. Now, I've always been under the impression that hitting coaches and pitching coaches are far more likely to impact the younger players on the roster, which is why I am so excited about Chris Fetter being the pitching coach here is because you have, I mean, at least a trio, maybe more if you want to include, include Fiedo and Wentz, if and when they get uh, to the major leagues, and even Spencer Turnbull, who I forgot to bring that up. But, you know, you look at all those young guys, all, you know, under 25, Turnbull might be 26, but either way, you know, we're splitting hairs at that point. All young pitchers, I think the impact that a pitching coach could have on an assortment of young arms in your organization, I think that's huge. And I think having Rick Anderson here, and I feel bad ripping the guy all the time, seems like an adequate human being. Gardy liked him, the players seemed to like him, but you know, I've said it before, there's one organization that would have hired this guy to be their pitching coach, and it was the Tigers. I just think he was archaic. I think he was out of date. I think the game had kind of passed him by, and I think that was reflected in how a lot of these guys performed over the last several seasons. The pitching staff was terrible. In terms of changes that need to be made, as far as pitching goes, I think the whole archaic notion of pitching for contact, getting ahead with your fastball, it is not only a dying art, it's a dead art. It's something that isn't really talked about in today's baseball anymore. The strikeout is such a valuable thing. That's why power arms are in such high demand. You want guys who throw hard. You want guys who have lethal off-speed stuff, who can strike guys out. What Chris Fetter talked about in several interviews, and I hope this carries over to Detroit, and I have no reason to think it won't, pitching to your strengths. 
throwing your best stuff at any time in the count. The days of get ahead with your fastball, wipe them out with your off-speed stuff, even that's over. You see guys throwing curveballs and cutters on, on first pitches in the count nowadays, and that's what you have to do. I've said it before, hitters in Major League Baseball today, and I know they strike out a lot, but for the most part, hitters in Major League Baseball today are smarter than they have ever been. And over the last several years here, we've had a pitching coach that has been unwilling to allow these pitchers to be able to adjust to how smart hitters at the major league level are. In the minor leagues, you can just beat guys with fastballs. And that's what I talked about with Tariq Skubal when he was first getting called up and struggling a little bit. I said, look, he's going to have more of a learning curve than anyone else here because in the minor leagues, and I'm not saying his off-speed stuff is bad. I think it's very good. But in the minor leagues, when you have a fastball that's 97, 98, you can, you can pump that by guys all day. That can't happen once you get to the major league level. And, and I think you finally have a, a pitching coach, Chris Fetter, who understands that. I think that having these guys like Skubal and like pitch a little bit in the major leagues this year in what was essentially a wash of a season. You know, I took nothing out of it, but I think it will ultimately help their development going into what will be their full rookie seasons in 2021. Offensively, I think selling out for power is going to be something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of. I think this will be a team that will still strike out a lot over the next several seasons. You know, these these are not the most talented hitters on the planet in Detroit right now, but they do have guys who can hit for power. And I think we're going to see, hopefully, power numbers go up. And you know what? If they're striking out, if they're even in the bottom third in terms of most strikeouts in baseball, I'm fine with that. I want to see home runs. I want to see extra base power. And in fairness, you did see more of that last year. You did see more home runs. You did see guys like Jacoby Jones and Jonathan Scope and even Miggy to a certain extent selling out for power, selling out for extra base hits. I'm okay with that. It, it, I'm not saying it worked out. The team was still awful, but there was a moment there where I'm like, you know what? They have adjusted. This was not 2019 when the, the leader on your team had 15 home runs in Brandon Dixon. I, I think you saw a bit more power from this baseball team a year ago. Hopefully that carries over with the new hires that they got on the coaching staff. I really am looking forward to seeing how they adjust in 2021. So that will do it. For today's show and this week's worth of shows, another long week. Thank you very much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. You can follow this show on Twitter at LockedOnTigers. While you're at it, go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave a written five-star review. Please, pretty please, a five-star review of this show. It would be much appreciated. You know, I got, I've got some negative ones recently and that, uh, well, that hurts my feelings and I apologize to the people who I've been disappointing, but uh, please continue to listen. It would mean a lot. I will be right back here on Monday recapping the baseball news of the weekend. Going to keep marching on here soon. I think probably in December we go to three days a week, but I'm fine marching on five days a week the way we have been. Uh, I'm I'm content with the product and I appreciate all of you uh, sticking with me. I will be right back here on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening and go Tigers.